0: Alright, alright, alright Welcome back it's fit, it's, 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 it's fit Nation Baby lay on back and relax Kick your pretty feet up on my dash No need to go nowhere fast Let's enjoy right here where we at Who knows where this road is supposed to lead? We got nothing but time. As long as you're right here next to me, everything's gonna
1: be alright. If it's meant to be...
0: it's meant to be, it'll be, it'll be, baby, if it's meant to be. So come on, ride with me, ride with me. See where this thing goes. So come on, ride with
1: me, ride with me. Baby, if it's meant to be. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But if if it's meant to be, it'll be, it'll be. Baby, just let it be. If it's meant to be, it'll be, it'll be, baby, just let it be. So won't you ride?
0: All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. If you have not had the chance, check out our first book, 13 Step Guide to Success. It is available in paperback and Kindle editions through Amazon. If you are listening or watching for the first time, thanks for joining us. And be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Underscore Misfit Nation. So you'll stay up to date on all episodes as they release, while also having the opportunity of getting to hear the stories of our amazing guests. Speaking of which... Our next guest is a nationally known speaker, podcaster, and author who has helped thousands of people start and build their own speaking business through his training company, The Speaker Lab. He is regularly featured in national media, including Forbes Incorporated, Entrepreneur, and Huffington Post. A podcaster since 2014, he has published over 400 podcast episodes. He loves talking all things speaking, entrepreneurship, marketing, family, and motivating other other leaders and entrepreneurs. He lives with his wife and three daughters near Nashville, Tennessee. So without further ado, let's welcome to the Misfit Nation, Mr. Grant Baldwin. How are you, Grant?
1: Rich, thanks for letting me hang out with you, brother. I appreciate it, man.
0: Awesome. Glad we are able to connect, and uh, and we can almost throw a stone at each other as close as we are on the the map. If one of us had a really uh, cannon arm, I guess we can do it.
1: I was going to say, man, I don't know about your arm, uh, (laughs) but I know mine, and it's not going to get that far, but you know what? i on
0: 24 to make it happen. This is true. This is true. So Grant, if you don't mind, tell tell the audience a little bit about your backstory to how you got into speaking to where we are now.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I way back in high school, I was actually involved in my local church um, and my youth pastor I had a really big impact on my life. And so that's kind of the, the path I was on. I went to Bible college. I was a youth pastor for a little while and it gave me a lot of opportunities to speak. And, and speaking was one of those things I, I felt like I was decent at. I wanted to do more of and just had no idea like how, how does this world work? And so uh, I started like emailing a bunch of other speakers and just like stalking speakers and just like, hey, someone just tell me like what to do. And I always kind of felt like, like I had the potential, but I needed the plan. I had the potential, but I needed the plan. And so uh, eventually I started getting some feedback and get some answers and uh, eventually started booking some gigs here and there and was doing, you know, 10 or a few or or so gigs the the first year or so, and then 20 or 30 gigs. And eventually got to a point where I was doing about 60 or 70 speaking gigs a year uh, all over, primarily the U S and, uh, (coughs) it was, it was awesome. Like absolutely loved it. Um, and then I had a bunch of people who were asking me like, Hey, I want to be a speaker. Like I've seen how yeah, you built your business. Like tell me how to do that. And so then we started doing some teaching, coaching training on that. And that's really been the past uh, several years of the business now is uh, like you mentioned, run the, run the speaker lab where we teach people how to find and book paid speaking gigs, how to use speaking in their business. And uh, yeah, that's a, uh, that's what we do now. It's a ton of fun.
0: Awesome. I think I was introduced to the speaker lab through my former job as they want us to have a better public speaking, uh, Persona as we uh, pitched the classes to our our clients and such, and uh, nice. I left that job before I took the classes, <laughs> so it <laughs> kind of went by way wayside. So, but I still get your I get your emails all the time, so I, I've seen your name forever. And then when you came up on on this, I was like, oh, I, I might as well interview him since so I get an email from almost every day inviting me to do something. <laughs> I actually caught the uh, Brittany Richmond, the uh, yeah, uh, for a while awesome, awesome lady. Yeah. And uh, then the next call, it, everything kind of fell apart. The next call, so I, I kind of moved away from it, and but. I I really enjoyed talking to her and she had me sold. I was
1: ready to go. Cool, man. Cool. Well, yeah. We know that like everyone's at a different stage in terms of like their, their speaking career, what it is they're wanting to do. And, and I think one of the nice things with speaking is there's people who want to, they want to speak 50, 60, 70, hundred times a year. And other people that are like, nah, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. I've got something good going, but I wouldn't mind speaking, you know, five times or 10 times a year. But uh, they have the same questions that I had when I got started. How do I find a gig? How much do I charge? What do I speak about? Who hires speakers? And speaking is just kind of like this mysterious black box. And so mm-hmm. if we're able to kind of like demystify it and show like, no, no, like there's a process to it like anything else like here's like here's the steps you need to follow um, then hopefully we can we can simplify and, and get people on stages so
0: say there's a, a person that's just coming out of like high school or mid midway through college and they, and they say "Oh, i got something i want to say i have a good story in my life how did they become a speaker
1: Yeah. That was a bit of me. Like whenever I got started was, um, you know, I think one of the misconceptions was that you had to have some crazy story or some type of life experience. And I'm going like, I'm a white male from the Midwest who's had a normal average life, like grew up in a middle-class family. Like I'd never broken a bone. I'd never won a Nobel peace prize. I wasn't on American idol. Like there there was nothing that like, Oh yeah, of course that dude should be a a speaker. Right. He won a gold medal. He cured cancer. Like there's nothing that on the surface that felt like it qualified me to be a speaker. And oftentimes early on in my speaking career, like, I was the youngest person in the room, you know, and I'm just like, what am, what am I doing here? Like all, all these people listening to me, like I could be, you know, this, this person's kid and and here I am on stage here. And so, yeah, there's like certainly like some, what feels like some imposter syndrome of like, why me? And, and should I, should I really be the person up here on stage? Um, but one of the things that, that's most important that we talk a lot of w- with speakers about is, is you, you have to solve one specific problem for one specific audience. And that the dangerous thing is, is that whenever it comes to being a speaker is that often as we try to, to cast the net as far and wide as possible. And this isn't true with just speakers. This is any type of business. And this is true for podcasting. So when we talk about like, you know, who do you speak to? It's like, ah, oh, I, I speak to people. I speak for to humans. My, Messages for everybody, or who's your podcast for? It's for everybody, right? Well, if it's for everybody, it's really for nobody, you know. And so uh, the same thing is true with with the topic. You know, what do you speak about? And if speakers are like, well, what do you want me to speak about? I can speak about anything. It's like no, you can't. Like that doesn't work. And even if you like, you know, a bunch about a, a lot of different things, or you're knowledgeable or interested in a bunch of different things, it doesn't mean that you should try to speak on a bunch of different things. So, Richard, like we were, let's imagine we were uh, uh, going for uh, looking for a good steak uh one of the things we tell speakers is you want to be the steakhouse and not the buffet and so if we are going out to eat we're looking for a good steak like we could go to a buffet where steak is one of a hundred different things that they offer and they're all mediocre or you could go to a steakhouse where they do one thing but they do that one thing really 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 well like you want to be that steakhouse where it's like i you know i don't i don't do tacos i don't do lasagna i don't do uh pasta like i I do steak. And that's the thing that I'm good at. And that's what you want to be as a speaker, because it makes it easier to attract the right type of clients and repel the wrong type of clients. If you're a vegetarian, you're not going to be going to the steakhouse and that's okay. Like that's what you want though, is to attract the right type of people who are looking for this type of cuisine and this type of restaurant versus trying to be all things to all people. And so again, it's counterintuitive, but the more narrow, the more focused you are, the easier it is to to try to, to find the right type of gigs.
0: Right. And, then, and we see a lot within the nonprofit world, especially when they have uh, speakers come to do, like, say, their uh, fundraising events every year. Right. Some of those speakers speak at multiple nonprofits in one year, and they start to kind of trip up as they get towards the end of the cycle, as they start thanking the wrong audience as they get in there. Is that something that also part of the, I guess, not really imposter syndrome, but it's just kind of overselling yourself to do too many things?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, if it it would kind of depend on the, the nature of what you're doing, if you are, you know, if you're doing a lot of gigs, if you're just talking about like from a volume standpoint, then you absolutely need to be aware of like, what's this, what's this client that I'm working with or what state am I in? And so I'm not saying the wrong things, you know, that sort of thing. And some of that's just, you know, you you just want to make sure that you're, you're being really, really professional. Um, and again, especially if you're doing, you know, I've done, you know, five cities in five days and five totally different events. And so you, you gotta be aware of, of where you're at and what's going on there, um, and so some of us that, but yeah, I think where where it becomes a little bit more tricky is where you know you may be doing a nonprofit one day, and then speaking to uh, a school another day, and then the church another day, and then a, um, a a banking credit union group another day, and then you know like you just have like, like these totally different worlds, and they're all just like very very different in what it is that their challenges are, and what they're maybe the illustrations or stories that you may be using, and you know this illustration works really really well for a banking audience, but it doesn't make any sense in the church world or or whatever. And and so speaking to a consistent group makes it a lot easier for your talk to be polished and dialed versus trying to give a whole bunch of variations of the same talk to a whole bunch of different types of audiences.
0: Definitely. And I, I just witnessed that at a fundraiser just recently and the person, he realized that after he said the, the wrong organization, when he thanked them, and, I, and you can tell he was just kind of in that burnout stage when uh, he's done too many of these in a row. And yeah. he knew at that point that he had stepped on that landmine and and had to reel it back in somehow and try to win back the audience.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's never that's never a good thing. You know, an, <laughs> an audience uh, a speaker doesn't want that the audience doesn't want that. Like uh, I think there's also a misconception with speakers that you know the audience is out to get you like that's not the case at all like the audience wants you to do well like nobody wants to sit and watch a crappy speaker you know like we want you to be a really good speaker uh, so we are as an audience member we are rooting for you to do well you know and so it's, it's up to you to make sure that you do that do the work and, and prepare to like show up and, and deliver um, and I think like that's also something that like makes a great speaker is the best speakers in the world aren't the ones that just like oh, I'm gonna just scribble a couple ideas on a napkin and hop up there and wing it and just kind of riff and pop a cop, talk off the top of my head and let's see what happens no like they, they spend a ton of time, like really thinking through every, like their word choice and their sentence structure and thinking through, okay, this story leads into this. And then I'm going to transition here. Like there's a lot of thought and it may look like they're just talking off the top of their head, but there's really a lot of effort that goes into it behind the scenes. So it's kind of like, you know, if you ever watch a a comedian, you watch a Netflix special or or, uh, you know, someone do stand up, like you think like, oh, they're just kind of, they're just, they're just funny and mm-hmm. they're just talking and they're just funny. But like, there's a ton of work that goes in behind the scenes to think through this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. And so it looks effortless, but really there's a ton of intentionality and 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 preparation and practice that went on behind the scenes.
0: Definitely. And uh, the the more prepared a speaker is, I believe the, the better or the better the flow is for the speaker. And it keeps the audience engaged. Like you said, the audience isn't there to uh, shoot arrows at them. They usually either A, paid money to be there or B, are there to learn something. So they want to be there for a reason. They're not there because they're kicking and screaming that they had to sit in this auditorium or in this uh, church or, or whatever in this venue to listen to a talking head up there. They want someone up there that is knowledgeable and is actually motivated to be there with you as well.
1: No, absolutely. Now, there is a point to that, though, that um, there's a difference between an audience that wants to be there and an audience that has to be there. So there's times where maybe you go speak at something and nobody was forced to be in there. They volunteered to be there. They wanted to attend there. It's a it's a conference or a session or something. But there's also times where maybe you go speak at a company or a group and you know everyone is forced to be there. And so you've got people like, for example, I did a lot in the education space. And so I would speak at a lot of, of school assemblies, did a whole bunch of high school assemblies. And a, a teenager's like, hey, man, I'm glad you got me out of class but like i don't really care what you have to say and so (laughs) it's an audience that has to be there uh and so that you have to do a lot more to earn their trust and get them on their side get you on get them on your side so that they uh you build that that rapport and and connection with them so that whenever you bring something of of of, um application or 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 knowledge to them that they you have their trust and you build that connection that they're going to actually listen to you not and not tune you out so there's absolutely like It's good for any speaker who's speaking somewhere like, is this the audience that I'm speaking to? Do they want to be here or do they have to be here? Because there's two totally different groups there.
0: Right. Especially in the corporate world, when you have to do mandatory training or such like that, and the speaker comes in, you may not have their attention at all during that thing unless you say something amazing. And all of a sudden you see phones drop, pens drop and their eyes actually open up. Otherwise you have half the room looking, half the room not even really there. They're not present.
1: Yep, Absolutely.
0: So as someone is uh, growing and becoming a speaker, how do they know what to charge? Is there like a, is there a ball? Is there like a industry standard or something like that?
1: Yeah, the the truth is it it varies and it's it's all over the map. Um, And so the answer, it depends, uh, I know is a horrible answer. So let me give you a, uh, I'll give you a short answer and then I'll give you a long answer. The short answer is, Uh, we haven't had enough people who've who've asked us, you know, hey, how much should I charge? And so we actually came up with a speaking fee calculator. It's totally free. If people want to check it out, it's over at myspeakerfee.com, myspeakerfee.com. Again, it's totally free. You basically answer like eight, 10 questions or something, multiple choice questions, and it'll spit out a number at the bottom of what you should be charging. Again, speaking fees is much more of an art than a science, but at least get you in the ballpark there. Um, And so I'll give you a couple of the kind of the categories we kind of look at there when when we were putting this together. One of them is going to be, Um, your industry. You you can charge more in some industries versus others. You can charge more speaking to corporations versus churches. You can charge more speaking to colleges versus kindergarten students, right? It's not that one's better or worse than the other. They're just each pond, so to speak, is going to have kind of a a different um, uh, budgets and and fee ranges that that you can can charge. So that's going to be a big factor. Another factor is going to be your experience, Uh, meaning if you're a brand new speaker, you're just getting started. You're you're figuring things out. You're probably not going to be able to charge as much as Someone who has been at it for 5, 10, 20 years and is probably, frankly, just a better speaker than you are. And they're better delivery. They're more polished. They've got their talk dialed in. And the product is, is just better. Another factor is going to be your marketing materials, so uh, meaning specifically your your website and demo video. Now, whether we like it or not, like people judge books by their covers, and so we're all guilty of it. And so when when someone, an event planner, decision maker, is considering hiring you as a speaker, they're probably looking at you and three, four, five other speakers, and a lot of times they're looking at kind of that marketing material, that website, that demo video to determine whether or not uh, you're a good fit or who it is that they're going to hire. So that doesn't mean that you need to have spent tens of thousands of dollars on your stuff, but you need to make sure your stuff looks sharp it looks professional so there's several speakers uh sites i've looked at that i I know for a fact they are a great speaker but their website does not reflect that so it doesn't give me a ton of confidence in them as a speaker and so again whether we like it or not we want to admit it or not like we all do it and so if people, if your website sucks, people assume that you may suck as a speaker. That's not fair, but that's oftentimes the case. So again, you just want to make sure that your stuff looks professional and looks sharp. So a lot of variables, a lot of factors that go into how much you should charge, but uh, those are a few. But definitely as a the shortcut is to go to uh, myspeakerfee.com and uh, play around there.
0: Awesome. And uh, uh, you know, in almost every industry, the picture is what gets most people sold uh, so if you're a coach they want you to look like a coach uh, kind of built kind of professional looking and fit the sport that you're teaching where you're coaching if you if you look like a, a I'll hate to say a bum they don't want to hire you unless you're bill belichick because he dresses like that and still gets the results but not everyone's a bill belichick they want the person that looks a, looks the part and looks more professional as they go in
1: totally absolutely
0: so uh, in the last two years, as you know, the whole world has been flipped upside down, and I bet a lot of speaking has gone virtual. Is it a attainable goal to be a virtual speaker versus a full-time speaker?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know this is going to sound weird, but hang with me. The The pandemic has actually been one of the best possible things to happen to the speaking industry. And I'll explain what I mean there. So pre-pandemic, virtual speaking was, uh, was a thing, but it wasn't a thing that anybody really took that seriously. So speakers didn't do a ton of it. Event planners didn't book it a lot. And so it's just kind of the, I don't know, it just kind of existed and that was the extent of it. So live events was really the only thing that was the, the main game in town. But then when the pandemic hits, live events stopped, virtual becomes the only option. And it took everybody a couple months to kind of find their footing, like, okay, like pandemic's going to be here for a second. Let's lean into virtual. And so for a while, virtual was then the only option. And so everybody leans into virtual, but what we're seeing now and what we, we really talked a lot about what happened is and how it's taking place now is that uh, now that hopefully we're, we're coming out of the pandemic, I know we've been saying that for a while, but yeah. the live events continue to come back on a daily basis. People have missed being together and now we get to be together. Uh, and so it's created like uh, more demand for live in-person events. But at the same time, it, that doesn't mean that virtual events have gone away. If anything, we've seen that virtual events continue to stick around in addition to live events. So what that means is there's a lot of opportunity for speakers right now. And there's a lot of demand for speakers right now. So... 15 years ago when I was getting started as a speaker, the only option in terms of being a speaker was you had to get on a plane. You got to go somewhere. You got to leave the family. Uh, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast. That's that's what it was. Whereas now I know several speakers who are absolutely killing it with virtual and they're home. They, they get to be home. They're able to do multiple gigs in the same day. And there's <coughs> there's pros and cons with it. There's trade-offs. You know, you can do multiple gigs in the same day and never have to leave your home. There's nothing that compares to being in person with an audience and that that real human connection that you have where you can uh, high five and, and handshake and hug. Um, so there's certainly like the trade-offs there, but virtual is absolutely a real viable option for speakers that didn't previously exist. That was really brought on by the pandemic. So uh, virtual has is, is definitely uh, been around and it's going to continue to be around.
0: Awesome. Uh, I know for, for my profession now, uh, well, where we train trained soldiers and such when the pandemic started, we started doing virtual and then it was kind of a hybrid where we'd have a live mm-hmm. audience, a live class in front of us but we'd also broadcast it to those soldiers who couldn't get to us. Are Are any speakers doing a hybrid version as well?
1: Absolutely. So not only hybrid at the time of the event. So for example, I was just at an event a week or so ago, and uh, it's a mix of you got a a handful of people in the room, but then you also that's being fed uh, through a live stream elsewhere. And so, you know, the speaker on stage is talking to the people in the room and also talking to people that are watching online. So that happens a lot. But the other thing that that this has created is opportunities to do kind of extended, like ongoing um, training and coaching, meaning before, for the most part, what would happen is a speaker would come in, they'd speak. They'd give up, you know, their keynote or workshop, they'd leave. And that's kind of the end of the transaction, not only the transaction, but kind of the interaction with the audience. But now there's a lot more opportunities to do something ongoing where maybe you come in, you speak, you give a keynote workshop, and then maybe once a month for the next six months, you're doing a zoom call with them and just kind of following up on, Hey, here's what we talked about three months ago. Where do you feel? Hey, yeah, you talked about this. And I feel we as a company or an organization or group, or as an individual, we feel stuck here. Can you kind of help us get unstuck? And so it helps kind of the implementation process way beyond the stage of that initial time. And so it's kind of what that does, uh, it creates a better experience for the, uh, for the client, for the individual where you can do something more ongoing, but it also creates an additional revenue opportunities for speakers where it's kind of like, you know, if you go to get a Chick-fil-A, you can get just the chicken sandwich, but you can also, would you like fries with that? Would you like a drink with that? Would you like a cookie with that? Would you like to upsize that stuff? And so all of a sudden it takes this one gig and turns it into multiple opportunities, uh, where you can generate uh, increased revenue from from the same client so uh yeah virtual again virtual has, has created a lot of really great opportunities for speakers right now
0: and i bet that uh, like you said that increases your income funnel at that point as well instead of having that that one hit wonder now you're you're kind of like doing a series of talks to one group and and that Correct. spreads through their networks as well and then you mind up probably getting hired in other corporations
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, there's a there's just a lot more opportunities. Whereas, you know, before if if someone was doing 50 gigs a year, it's probably going to be 50 individual clients, you know, give or take. Um, but now you could do uh, maybe only work with 10 clients or 20 clients, and so but you're going deeper with those particular clients. So there's just yeah, there's a lot of a lot of great opportunities right now for some of those those hybrid type uh, speaking opportunities.
0: So I know you do you you do speaking as a full time gig as well as the entrepreneur side with the the Speaker Lab. Do you think it's possible to be a professional speaker without doing it full-time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, I think this is one of the the benefits to the speaking industry. There's not necessarily a one size fits all. So there are people that do, you know, 50, 75, hundred gigs a year, and they, they love it and they kill it doing that. And other people that do five gigs a year, you know, and it's not that one's better, or worse than, than another. You just, you got to kind of kind of got to decide like what makes sense for you. What is it that you're wanting to do? Uh, I will say that, um, that there's certainly going to be like a the, the balancing act of if you have let's say a, a full-time job and you're trying to do gigs and you're trying to get on the road or you're trying to do virtual presentations and it's a you know a thursday at noon and you're like dang i gotta you know i gotta be at work but at the same time i got the, a gig opportunity so there's definitely going to be like some ebb and ebb and flow there and some some um i guess kind of push and pull that you got to kind of navigate and figure out but i'd also say it really depends on like what you're wanting to do with speaking you know if you are um you're wanting to ultimately become a Full-time speaker, then at some point, like you're you're making that transition from the the known quote unquote of having a full-time job of having that quote unquote safety and security uh, to the unknown of I'm, I'm going all in because being a speaker, there, there's these big peaks and valleys, um, meaning that there are times of the year where you're, you're doing a ton of gigs and it's busy and there's a lot going on and you may be making bank. And then there are times where like around the holidays, for example, like nobody's booking speakers around Christmas. And so it's just December slow. And that's just, that's just the way it is. after basically from Thanksgiving until, you know, the first week or so of the year, there's just not a lot of stuff that's happening. So if you can book a gig in December, that's a huge, huge win. Um, but it tends to be a little bit slower. Whereas like, September or April, maybe big, big months that may have uh, a lot of bookings and opportunities going on. So you absolutely have to ma- manage both the the time element of how much time and effort you're putting into it, uh, but also the uh, the cash and kind of the the cash flow of of when events are happening over the course of the year.
0: Awesome. And what are uh, different opportunities for speakers? Like uh, we spoke earlier about churches, corporate, uh, corporate uh, corporations, nonprofits. Are there different categories and opportunities?
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, one of the things we talked through is there there's seven different industries, primary industries that book and hire speakers. So you're going to have corporations, uh, associations, nonprofit uh, churches, faith-based. Um, you're going to have uh, government and military. You're going to have colleges uh, and universities, and then you're going to have a uh, high um, education. So K through 12. So you have, and even within that, you have a whole bunch of other subsets and groups that that exists, you know, so corporations is a big group, you know, there's a lot of opportunities that exist within corporations, Um, same with like associations and same with like, you know, education, you know, um, when I was doing a lot with education, I, I didn't do anything with elementary students, barely did anything with with middle school students, but I did a lot with high school students. Um, But a high school audience is gonna be different than an elementary audience. And a high school audience is gonna be different than a college audience. And so, and even within colleges or, or within high schools, you may focus on speaking to teachers, you may focus on speaking to parents. So There's just, there's a lot of opportunities that exist, but the more narrow, the more focused you are, the easier it is to start to be able to find the the right type of opportunities that make sense for you.
0: Outstanding. I've learned that too. Uh, Speaking to veteran groups or speaking to a high school is two different things completely. And then if you even cut that high school down to a middle school, you really have to cut the, the speech into something that's relevant to them that they understand and they can feed off of to move towards their high school and their future goals in life.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're just, every audience is going to be slightly different. There's always going to be nuances based on, um, you know who you're speaking to uh, geographically, um, what the, the the nature of the presentation is, how long the presentation is. Like, there's there's just a lot of variables that go into it that factor into you know what makes a good presentation. But that's again kind of goes back to once you're clear on I speak to this group and I uh, I solve this problem and I can do it in this context. Um, so I'll give an example. Like, I know for me, uh, I'm really good in like a one-hour block. Uh, and some speakers that are like, hey, you can't cover anything in an hour. You, I need a full, I need three full days with people. I want to go deep in the weeds. And I'm like, boy, I would, I'd be miserable over three days. But I know like in one hour, I can cover a lot of ground. And so again, it's not that one's better or worse, but you just have to know like what makes sense for you, what it is you're trying to do. And then also for the the type of audience that you may be speaking to, what's the best way to present that, the solution to the problem that they have.
0: Exactly. And in your opinion, Grant, what makes a great speaker?
1: Uh, well, I mean, it certainly is, can be a little subjective. Um, you know, there's some speakers that, that someone watches and they're like, ah, that was amazing. And others that watch like, oh, they're okay. Um, but I think the more genuine, the authentic, uh, the more human that they can be the better. What I mean by that is is sometimes you see a speaker that is very robotic and formulaic. It feels like they are just regurgitating a script. It feels like they're just deep in their head of, okay, now I say this, and then I take five steps over here and and I do this with my hands. And it's just... Like they're just like uh, regurgitating this whole thing, and it just doesn't feel like they're really engaged or present with the audience. But you want a speaker who feels like, no, no like it's it, you are a human talking to a collection of other humans, so like act like a human. Uh, and so I think that, that most people have a really good gauge on, is this a personal person, authentic? Are they genuine? Uh, are they here? Are they, uh, are they just passing through? Is there, are they, is their body here, but their mind is elsewhere. Like you want people that are just fully engaged and fully locked in. And so I think speaker I think audience members tend to have a good gauge on that. Um, so I think the more authentic, the more genuine, the more transparent that you can be, the more you're going to relate with and, and connect with the, with your audience.
0: And I think all those points are very valid there. I mean, me as a speaker, I know I don't like to stand behind a podium at all. Mm-hmm. I like to move, and I like to be either I like to walk into the audience sometimes just so I, I can be closer to them and uh and have, have them feel like I'm one of them, not someone above them or in front of them being a higher being or whatever. Uh, totally. I think that makes me more comfortable and them more comfortable. And I think that's just my the style that fits me the best. And some people are great behind a podium. That's where they like to stand. And, yep. And like you said, there's tons of different shoes people can wear to be speakers, but you got to find your your niche and do it the right way.
1: Yeah, totally agree.
0: If you could give uh, some three, three pieces of advice to an up-and-coming speaker, what would that be, Grant?
1: Yeah, I think again, kind of going back to one of the things we we talked about is, is making sure that you're really, really clear on who you speak to and what you speak about and what problem that you solve. And also say, I think just having a long-term perspective on the business, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to, um, I, I think of it kind of like, um, uh, if you wanted to, to lose weight or get in shape um, we all know what we're supposed to do it's really really simple you need to pay attention to what you eat you need to exercise like that's it and, and same when it comes to book and speaking gigs it's not overly complicated like we can tell you what to do so it's simple but it's not easy it's simple but it's not easy I know what I'm supposed to eat and what I'm not supposed to eat but man donuts taste a lot better than kale uh, <laughs> and I know that I'm supposed to be exercising but boy it's just a lot more fun to sleep in some days and so we know the things we're supposed to do but it still requires effort and discipline and so if you treat speaking like a hobby, you're going to get hobby results. And if you treat it like a business, you're going to get business results. So be clear on what it is that you're trying to accomplish uh, and then do the work, put in the work to to get the results that you're going for.
0: Awesome advice. Thanks, Clarence. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you on a personal level or to come speak or even just to chat with you or even to get involved with your courses?
1: Yeah, I know that uh, anybody listening to this podcast probably listen to other podcasts. So check us out over at the Speaker Lab Podcast. The Speaker Lab Podcast. We got uh, nearly 400 episodes there, so that's definitely one to, to check out. Um, check out, check out my uh, the speaking fee calculator, myspeakerfee.com, that we talked about earlier. And then if people have questions or anything I can help with, feel free to shoot me an email, Grant at thespeakerlab.com. Grant at thespeakerlab.com, and uh, always happy to help however I can.
0: Awesome, Grant. Thanks for taking some of your time to hang out with us today.
1: You bet, brother. I appreciate it.
0: know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on This fit, nat- it's, 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 it's fit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know someone that brings that energy, has a great story, is an up-and-comer in any industry of music, in the arts, have them reach out to us on Misfitnation.com. We will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story with the world. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are. Fit Nation.